One thing we can do is we can, we can start watching the behavior change that's happening. A lot of people are changing their behavior. New opportunities are going to arise out of, um, out of these changes that are happening. Hello, I'm Shane Malach. And I'm Oliver Cowlishaw. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about opportunities. Opportunities that can come out of this, this crisis. In the previous episode, we talked about strategies. We covered uncertainty as it is at the moment and what strategies you can implement. Now, in this episode, we're talking about opportunities. What's the, what things can come out of the friction and the changes that are coming and that are present at the moment. So, Shane, let us know what what opportunities can come out of all this. I, I think here it's really important to preface like you really should watch the previous episode <laughs> before we get into this because the whole uncertainty thing like everything we're talking about now is in this environment of these are possibilities but it's very uncertain. So one thing we can do is we can we can start watching the behavior change that's happening. Right? A lot of people are changing their behavior. New opportunities are going to arise out of um, out of these changes that are happening. There are some things that are going to be different as long as people are on quarantine, as long as people are locked up. And then once that's over, which will happen probably sometime in the uncertain future, right? We don't know when, but we can assume that sometime that will be over and then that will change. So there are some opportunities that might arise during the crisis and then kind of die the moment it's over. But there are other opportunities that, that might remain and also there's some behavior change that might remain. One thing that I've seen reported in, in several places is this idea that we're running like the world's largest remote working experiment right now. Because before this, a lot of people were told, no, no, you can't do your job remotely. You have to come in the office and sit at this specific desk in front of a computer to do your work, right? And now it's like, oh, no, I guess you can do it from home. <laughs> yeah, or it's the opposite. They're telling you to stay home. <laughs> yeah. Stay home now. Yeah, exactly. It's possible. It's possible that we won't go back to as much uh, on-location work as we had before the crisis. It's possible that many people will be like, no, I was perfectly capable of doing this job at home. And I basically demand that I can continue doing it at home or maybe maybe, you know, three days at home, two days at the office or something. It's also possible that many businesses are going to be like, oh, this is actually not as bad. And, and you know, if I have to pay for less office floor space uh, and get more or less the same amount of work done, maybe that's a good choice, right? So it's possible that indeed that will be a shift where kind of a large group of people will, will suddenly do something differently. I would say the first thing, the first thing to, to do is we can start paying attention to what's happening in fast moving uncertain times like this. Sometimes the best source of that is just talking to people, right? Like what's happening in your business? What are, what are you guys doing? How are you solving this right now? And you can see what's changing and you can also see what kinds of businesses are thriving right now and what kinds of businesses are suffering right now. But then the first thing I would say is to, is to clearly think about, you, you have these incoming signals about what's happening, the changes that are happening, and think about, okay, is this crisis mode only? Or could this be a sustainable change? Could this be something that isn't just changing now, but will change forever in some way? And so the remote working is one of those things where we can say, oh, maybe this is not only during the crisis that this is going to happen, right? Whereas other behavior changes, okay, nobody's going to parks right now. But we can safely assume that once the crisis is over, people are going to go back to parks, right? Um, so we have to, that's kind of the first uh, test 
to, to ask ourselves, okay, is this going to be a lasting thing? Or is an aspect of this going to last? Or is it just going to be crisis mode only? In terms of opportunities, we're going to talk about what I call piggyback businesses, which, which I think are one of the best examples of how to capitalize on opportunity. And before we get into that, a way of thinking about this is as masses of people start doing things differently, there's going to be friction arising out of that. And that is so often the source of successful businesses is addressing friction. And so in this way, a crisis is a, a hotbed for new opportunities. Um, and what I mean is like a lot of businesses arise from, from insiders, right? Someone is working inside an industry and they realize one thing we do in our industry is super inefficient, you know? And it can be like, think of it like in something technical, right? Something looks at why does this super specialized valve that we use, why does this cost $10,000? And they go, you know what? I can actually make a, a better valve than this for less money. And then that's, that's the business idea. And it comes from this friction of, you know, this is way too expensive and it's inefficient. And only the insider has that perspective to spot that opportunity. So now in this environment, what's happening is, yeah, we have en masse behavior change. We can ask ourselves, what, is, what are loads and loads of people doing differently? And out of that guaranteed, loads and loads of new friction will arise. So the most obvious thing that is happening that, that a lot of people are talking about is businesses moving online in some way. So, you know, instead of having an in-person meeting, you have an online meeting. Instead of doing a workshop, you do a webinar. Instead of doing in-person classes, you do online classes, right? And of course, that is an opportunity for anyone already in that space. But what I guarantee you is that a lot of friction will arise where, you know, you have a, an online meeting tool like Zoom or GoToMeeting or something like that. And it has, it has been made for a certain type of use case. And now loads of people that are outside of the ideal use case are starting to use it. And loads of friction will happen because people are basically coming to it saying, here are five things I want to be able to do in my online workshop. And I can only do two of them with this tool because the tool was never really designed for that, right? Or they say, okay, I can do all five, but three of them are an absolute pain, right? It's taking way too much time to do this specific thing that I want to do with my online meeting or my online class or whatever. And it's, I can do it, but it, it is so painful. It's so annoying to do. And that is opportunity because basically solving that problem for money becomes an opportunity, right? So with more people, with more users comes friction and from the friction comes more problems mm -hmm. that can be solved and thus more opportunities. Exactly. And yeah, Zoom, Zoom use has increased by apparently 21%. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so yeah, for sure, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so there are things that we can clearly see, okay, this is changing. And again, if you think about it in terms of what is the ideal user of something like Zoom, and now suddenly a whole bunch of people who are outside of that ideal use case are starting to use Zoom as well. So in the last episode, we talked about short runway and long runway solutions. Yes. And, and if, you, if you've not seen that, if you're not familiar with that, it's just another reminder, go back and watch episode two, because this will make way more sense to you now if you do that. So short runway and long runway solutions. So for something like this, if we take the example of online meetings, right? tons of people are using online meetings, friction arises, and a short runway solution that you can try out right now is you can be a facilitator for this. So I can basically say, okay, um, for businesses who have gone to remote work now, I'm gonna help you make that happen. And that can be on the technical side, right? I'm gonna help you set up your, your online meetings, your online scheduling, your online whatever you need that you did in person before, all the technical stuff. And it can also be like more soft skills, like, okay, if you're a manager, how do you keep your team motivated? How do you keep, how do you have good 
team culture, good communication and so on. You're used to doing it in stand-up meetings in person. You're high-fiving each other. Now you can't high-five each other what you do, right? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? But basically, the basic idea is I can say that loads of people are forced to move to remote work and it's painful, guaranteed, right? This is not a smooth transition for any business. This is tough. And so if I have a background in, if I've already been doing remote work or something, I can say that's the service I offer. Pay me and I'm going to step in I'm going to help your team run as smoothly as it did before or even better. That's the short runway solution because all I need is a landing page that says, I can do this, click here to hire me, right? <laughs> That's a very quick solution. If I have good experience base uh, running remote teams, then I can simply offer that, look, I'm going to solve your problems. I can get clients and I can sort out the specifics of exactly how I'm going to solve this, develop my product as I'm doing the service, right? We also have to consider what's the buying power of, of a client, right? So we have to think about what are different businesses that are being hit really hard by this crisis, where if I come in and say, hey, pay me to help you solve a problem, they're like, dude, we have no money. Uh, you know, we'd love to, but no. Mm. <laughs> um, versus what are businesses who can still afford to pay me uh, for a service? That, so that's kind of another filter we have to apply. If, if the first filter is, is this short-term or a long-term uh, change? Second filter is the target client or the target customer, do they have buying power or not? So earlier you teased piggyback businesses. Mm -hmm. um, what are piggyback businesses? Yeah. So that is basically where you, where you create a solution that attaches or, or takes a piggyback ride on an existing solution. If you think, okay, all these people are moving to online meetings, all this remote work, I could build a software solution that uh, is for online meetings or for online remote work, right? So from the ground up, I build a new solution and of course, I don't, you know, it's obvious what the downsides of this are. This is a huge project. You're entering a massively competitive market. And yes, you can say, hey, I can see some, I can see some problems with existing online meeting tools. So I can, I can make a tool that does everything they do plus some things better. And of course, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to create that. It takes a big budget to create that. And then hopefully you can somehow win customers in such a busy market. A piggyback business is saying, you know what, instead of doing all the basic stuff, like instead of building everything from scratch, I'm just going to add on a solution to an existing platform. And it also can solve some of the problems like the, the buying power thing we talked about before. So for example, there is a, an email marketing tool called Infusionsoft. And they were, I don't know if they're still very successful, I think they're, they're becoming a bit outdated, but for a time they were pretty dominant in their space, you know, for email marketing, marketing automation and so on, and very, very expensive. It was like $3,000 to a startup cost, and then, you know, hundreds a month to, to just have this tool. So anyone who's using this tool is gonna be spending lots of money. And there are various piggyback businesses attached to Infusionsoft. So for example, there's a plugin called, I think iMember360, which what it does is you can install that as a membership tool on your WordPress website, and it will simply, it will connect to Infusionsoft and based on what someone is tagged as in Infusionsoft, it gives them access to a course. So let's say you have, you have your membership site, you have membership level A, and you can just say anyone in my email marketing system who has the tag customer A will get access to this. Hmm. So it's a very convenient way basically to have, you, you do all your shopping cart stuff and email marketing in Infusionsoft and with just one connection, you can make sure people who have bought my thing can access this, this course. That's, it's convenient, right? Now this thing costs like $97 a month, I think, which is pretty damn expensive for a, a membership tool. Just to, to give a comparison, you can get fully featured 
membership tools that you, you know, you can integrate with whatever payment processor you want. You can do all the membership stuff like independently. You can integrate it with all kinds of email marketing tools for that price or less, right? Mm. You can get membership plugins for free that do basic membership stuff for free, right? But because this is, this is piggybacking on Infusionsoft, they're basically looking at, okay, Infusionsoft has tens of thousands of customers, maybe even more, right? They have a huge customer base. All of these customers are clearly spending a lot of money. If we give them a solution that, that gives them a bit of convenience, right? That basically solves some of the friction they experience, they're gonna give us a hundred a month, right? Yeah. <laughs> they have the money to spend, right? So, and that's, that's a great example of a piggyback business. Another one is an enterprise level development tool called Jira, or it's a, it's a development management tool. So many software companies use Jira to do project management for software projects specifically. And you know, it's an enterprise tool, so it's very expensive, it's very complicated, it's powerful for this very specific use case. And it costs a ton of money, right? It's one of those where you pay per user. So every Jira customer is paying thousands a month probably, right? And they have a huge customer base. And there's a plugin, which is a Chrome plugin, a browser extension, with which you can take a screenshot in your browser and quickly turn that screenshot into a bug report in Jira. So this is for the, for the tester on the team, right? Or for the testing department. They test the software, they find the bug, they take a screenshot, they, they type a few, you know, a short description, and Jira will automatically log that with the screenshot as a bug report, along with you know what browser version was being used, what operating system, all these kind of details that usually you would have to kind of type in manually. Hmm. But think about that. This is, this is a browser extension to take screenshots. You can get a dozen of those for free. All it's doing is it's adding, it's, it's removing a bit of friction out of that process. And something you'd usually get for free, screenshot taking is free, right? This thing costs something, it starts something like $50 a month. <laughs> Right, so, but, but again, why does it do that? Because for this kind of customer, removing this bit of friction is worth that amount of money. And it is so much easier to solve that tiny problem than to build an entire bug reporting and software development system that has a screenshot feature that your competitors don't have, right? Yeah, and it's especially effective if you know that the, the, the business that you're piggybacking onto, their customers have buying power. Exactly. So obviously yeah. it's $50, but if they're already spending, Quite a lot, then yeah, that that'll be fine for just an ease and a bit of convenience. They'll do that exactly. One thing to pay attention to this is, you know, how many people know what Jira is? That's a, that's a pretty small slice. Right, if, out of all of all people, it's a pretty small slice of the pie who know what Jira is. It's a pretty small slice of the pie of people who have ever been in that position where it's like, okay, I'm doing uh, quality control on a software, on a piece of software under development, and I have to log bugs. That's hyper-specific, right? <laughs> and so the friction in this process is only visible to insiders. That's what I was mentioning before. Unless you're part of that process, like you're not going to, you're not going to do keyword research um, or, or you know, kind of do generic market research and find this business opportunity. This business opportunity is, is something that's visible to insiders because it's that specialized and that niche but it can be a massive opportunity, right? And here's another example of that. Like there is a company called SmallRig. SmallRig is a company that makes camera cages and accessories for uh, DSLRs and mirrorless cameras and stuff. There is, you know, among all the people who buy expensive digital cameras, not a lot, right? So I'm not talking about like, you know, 
pocket cameras or, or consumer level cameras. I'm talking about people who spend thousands of dollars on a camera, right? So that's a small slice of the pie right there. Some of them want to use that camera specifically for video. And some of them want to add a bunch of accessories to their camera. And for that, they basically need a cage and a way to attach a bunch of accessories. So again, think about we're going into niche, 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 but there's an entire company called SmallRig and there's other companies as well that do this where, you know, when a new camera comes out, they will make a, a bespoke cage for that camera and a bunch of accessories, right? Again, they're piggybacking on this because they know, okay, this camera has been released. Thousands of people are going to buy this camera. They're all spending loads of money on the camera. So if we sell them a cage for $200, that seems like a good deal, right? Good investment. <laughs> yeah. And that's another example of a piggyback business that is just in a tiny, tiny niche that you can only see and understand as an insider. Mm. Yeah, you're not, going to, uh, you're not going to ask someone on the street about that and they're going to know what you're talking about. Exactly. You can go ultra specific. So that is the, the principle of a a piggyback business. Why am I talking about online meetings and remote work and cameras and email marketing? That's, that's because this is my little universe. This is what I'm an insider in. I can see, you know, I can see problems in email marketing automation. I can see problems with even camera gear because I'm a bit of a camera nerd as well. And I obviously do video work, right? So these are the things that are visible to me. So the reason I'm, I'm talking around such a small universe of, of possible piggyback businesses is because that's, that's what I see, right? But what I want to be very clear about is like there's, there are these universes of potential businesses and piggyback businesses everywhere. And there are tons of them that whoever is watching this and listening to this, where, where you're the insider that I have no idea about. And these are things that, these are the things I would pay most attention to as possible longer runway things to capitalize on, right? In your specific little universe, in your niche, the crisis is leading to changes, which leads to friction, which you can see which other businesses are, are, are benefiting from this, which other businesses have big user bases with buying power. And you know, in, in, in case of software, have an API where I could develop a little add-on feature relatively easily instead of building a whole thing from scratch. And I think right now, right in times of uncertainty, I think that's a much better approach because it's a leaner, faster approach than to build a whole new thing from scratch. Another thing that I think is, is you know, well, almost an obvious one, you know, home workouts. Well, gyms are closed right now. There's a lot of people who are still interested in fitness, want to stay fit. That means that, first of all, courses on how to work out at home, how to work out at home in a tiny apartment, how to work out at home with no equipment, this kind of stuff. Uh, that is probably going to see a rise in demand. You can see that a lot of people are kind of switching from gym to home workout. And again, that causes friction. There's things they were used to doing that they can't do anymore. Can you solve that? In a way, if you do a course or content, it's like you're a service provider. You're like, I can help you solve this problem. And if you do a product, then you're, you're saying, buy this thing to make it easier. Buy this thing to get the result you want. But the friction that we see arise is from that movie. I'm used to working out at the gym. I'm used to getting a certain thing. I'm not getting it anymore. So those are our thoughts on some of the ways in which as an entrepreneur, you can survive and thrive in these times of crisis. Assume that this is the new normal. Behave in such a way that it's not just here's how I can more or less scrape by through the crisis. Assume that this is the new normal. Do the kind of behavior change and the kind of strategic thinking that's gonna help you now and in the long term. And in these three episodes here, yeah, we just kind of wanted to lay out all of the tools, all of the ways in which we think you can do that. 
As with previous episodes, if you have any questions about this, if there's any other examples, any other things that you want us to go deeper in, if there's anything else that you think we can help you with, then let us know by leaving questions, leaving comments below. And if you enjoyed this series, and if you enjoyed this video, go ahead and like it and share it with someone you think could benefit from it. All right, I wish you all the best in these difficult times. I wish you the strength to do the right things. And I hope we all get through this somehow better at the other end than when we started out. Thank you for watching and I'll see you next time.